Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Today we are talking about tests. I didn't study. Do we really have a test? Every day around here is a test, Paul, but that's, that's, that's for our <laughs> listeners. It's the test of their patients. I thought it was a test of just sitting in the same booth with you. Well, that is always a test itself. But today we are talking about all those wine tests and certifications out oh, there. Yeah. Do they really help people taking them or do they just turn them into raving snobs? I think some snobs are born that way. I don't think you need to, I don't think there's necessarily a test. It is a I knew someone who was snobbish because they passed their driver's test. Yeah. Someday I hope to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we also have listener questions about alcohol levels in wine and about wine glasses. Plus, we have hmm. some particularly horrible wine writing today oh, from boy. people who took wine tests, by the way, one of them. Or certainly sounds like it. But first, those tests. So, Paul, before we get into specifics, I'm going to give you an, an opportunity to rant about those if you would like to. Well, I don't think I want to rant about them, but I do want to talk a little bit about them because there is a problem with the way most of these tests are organized that what they want more than anything else is for you to memorize encyclopedias of information about wine that no consumer ever wants to know or needs to know and then it tells you now that you know all of this stuff now you're perfectly prepared to go talk to people about wine and in fact what you're prepared to do is go bore people bore them right yes. you're, you're prepared to not sell wine you're prepared if yeah. you're in the business you're prepared to not sell wine yeah well, and there's another i think i completely agree <clears throat> and in fact we we uh you once we uh we bring him up all the time because we admire the man tim geyser um and we had talked with him or actually you had asked a question of him for about something that where they were breaking down the chemical composition of the smells in wine. That's right. And they wanted, you know, master sommelier candidates to understand this. They didn't want them to say them. Right. They wanted them to understand what well, they were so they could analyze the they, wine they didn't to understand want them, the wine. They didn't want them to use those terms in describing the wines to the customer. To the customers, but they right. did want them to use those terms in describing them to other master sommeliers and to explain that they understood what caused those aromas. And in a way to take away the um, the sort of the object uh, or non the 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 flightiness of Yes, that's the word I was after. Yep. The subjectivity of what the flavor was. I should just do this show on my own. Do, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I was going to go silent, but that, <laughs> that would that would right only, into my hands. I was going to say, right, it would only encourage you, so I'm, I am not going to do that. So the other, the, the, to me, the real challenge with these tests, it's wonderful that these guys and gals know all this information. But the real question is, what do they do with it? Right. And, and one of the big challenges I think we have in wine today is we've got these people, they're studying for their tests, they're excited about the test. It's like the people who just read the book, you know, about Billy Bean running a baseball team based completely on computer studies of all the players, and all they want to do is talk about baseball statistics, and you know what? Nobody else cares. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, that is exactly right. And, you know, it is... It's a, it's a sort of a hard, complicated thing about wine because it, I think one of the natural things for people who f start to fall in love with wine is to want to learn about it. Of course. But I would also argue that the before you really start learning about sort of the chemical composition of the soils, it's the most fun part is the history of wine. Sure. The histories of, of pieces of wine. You know, you and I talk about this a lot. We haven't done a history segment in a while, but we will soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, about how it, it – 
there's such great stories of, of being human that is inside of things sure. like wine and food. And I think that humanity of wine can get lost when it becomes very specific. Right. Or, or at least gets lost in the telling if that's the direction that you go. Well, and if you have spent, and many of these tests require you to spend hours and hours, uh, weeks and months memorizing flashcards of the names of Grand Cru vineyards, of the of the appellations of the Loire Valley from east to west. I mean, this kind of stuff. Boy, by the time you get in front of a customer, they really what they what do they really want to know? What do they really want to know about yeah. a bottle of wine, Rick? Does it taste good? Does it taste good, or is it smooth? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you know what? Whether whether the Coteau de Leon is east or west of Savagnier just yeah. doesn't come up that often in conversation. It's not in mine, uh, <laughs> but you know. It is, yeah, and there's an, a, another piece to this, too, which is that it's this feeling like it is, uh, uh, um, in essence, carving out your station in society, or at least within wine society, if you pass these tests. Hmm. And wine shouldn't be a competitive sport. Wine should be about, right. about just like food. It should be about joy and appreciation and discovery. And it's really fun to compare. And it's really fun when, you know, we've been there. We're around, sitting around the table with a bunch of wine geeks and everybody's getting something entirely different around, about from the glass. And that's, that's, that's fun. It's not, be, oh, man, you didn't get the white pepper. What is wrong with you? Right. But it's unfortunate that there is a feeling until people really sort of get schooled in the better, you know, and it's, this is, you and I have talked about this before about the master psalm the problem with studying the master psalm is until they get to the point where they've learned the the real fine points of service they could be raving idiots they, you know <laughs> it's like they haven't gotten to the point of being a master psalm where right. you don't act well, that way i have to say that the recent movies and tv shows have not, not done helped. this profession any good at no, all i agree um it has made them look really very very tunnel vision and joyless and joyless yeah that, that was yeah. The, the worst thing about um the TV show, which was called Uncorked, was it made wine look like a minefield. Like right. there's so many things you could do wrong. Right. When there's nothing you can do wrong except unless you can't get the cork out. Right. And then and you can still break the. You can. You, there's still. There's a waste. There's a waste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's yes. right. And, and it, drinking out of the open part of the glass. That's really the other key. <laughs> that's right. Beyond that. Yeah. 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 So. Yep. Um, but there's and for folks who don't know what we're talking about I, and why some of the things, um, you know. I don't know. Have you been through classes, Paul? I mean, I know how I much teach you know. Classes, you but, but do you teach the the grid type classes? I do not teach the grid type classes. Although many of my students have gone on to pass some of those exams. So, so I've been through a bunch, and I went and dug out one of my grids. Um, and this was for uh, the grid, the the things I'm supposed to think about on appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can show how it's Does gonna... this have to do with what kind of clothes you wear? Because, yes. Rick, By you way, didn't pass that I test, gonna, did you? I was talking to you about, I'm going to talk to you about that shirt, Paul, but that's <laughs> another. So this is just the things that, that get uh, – it's clarity, brightness, concentration. Some people might say, why, how are those different? Color, hue. Yes, color and hue. Yes. Rim variation, extract or stain, as we call it, viscosity or tears, that's how people call it. Evidence of gas, sediment, or particles. You know, Rick, a lot of these apply to you. <laughs> you're, you're, you went for the gas line. That's why. Well, I was thinking clarity, <laughs> brightness, concentration. You're saying I need, I am these things. <laughs> um, I am colorful for sure. Yes, you and are. I do have some rim variation. And actually, what that is is that if the color is different at the rim, it tells you something about the age of the wine. But really, so when you a lot of times, and we were, we are going to have a, a, some horrible wine writing in a bit. Yep. Where a guy t- is taking a few of these tests. 
and it, it you get a lot of really useless information not only is uh, not useless for really really understanding that glass of wine at a, at a certain level but for selling the glass of wine or helping somebody appreciate it mm-hmm. you end up going off on in directions that right. really have nothing to do with the example i like to use is when someone asks you whether you prefer madonna or lady gaga and you start explaining your answer in terms of harmonic um, suspension and counterpoint and the person looks at you and says i don't get what you're talking about they will say that about music they won't say that about wine. People are intimidated by wine because for some reason, knowledge about wine is used as a show, social weapon in ways that it's n- not with other subjects. Yeah, and once again, I, and, and I am not one to discourage somebody from studying these tests and, and making their way up this, the ladder. Having said that, remember that this can also be more poisoning of the pool, so to speak, about wine because the more you talk in these ways to people who are not interested in those ways, the worse you make it for the wine industry. Yeah. And I, th- yeah, I th- yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and for the people who eventually yeah. learn how to be good sommeliers too. And so, don't yeah. forget my famous conversation with James Tidwell, the master sommelier who runs the largest sommelier conference in the world, Texom, down in Texas. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Um, and I asked James, I said, you know, what advice would you give someone who you are a master psalm, you run the conference that teaches all the other psalms. What advice do you give to people when they ask you what wine they should drink? And he said they should drink what they like. There you go. And I thought, you know what? Always the answer. That's the answer. That is always the answer. All right. Well, so in short, if you're going to take these things, be careful. If you're going to pass these things, don't brag about it and and listen to the service component of it because, frankly— that's the part that matters most. Well, in fact, there are, there are three different certifications I can think of, and only one of them has a service requirement. Um, the Master of Wine program, the WSET, Wine and Spirits Education Trust, mm-hmm. those two do not mm-hmm. have any connection to uh, service. Right. And the Society of Wine Educators program doesn't have a, a service element. It's only the Court of Master Sommeliers that has an element that teaches you uh, the the basics, and I don't mean the ritual service. I mean the, the customer service aspect of things. I have one. Do you? The service dogs of America. There you go. All right. Well, <laughs> so. Just and like I understand that their noses <laughs> are superb yeah. at identifying. Wine stops. Yep. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, but we can smell them a mile away. That is true. All right. <laughs> we don't need a dog we for are, that. We are moving along because now we're. Really going sideways. If you, we're taking some questions from listeners, and by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can. We will, uh, of course, give you a, a half answer, but we will try. Um, you, if you're not on our website, you can find us at rickandpaulwine.com. That's the place. If you're on our website, you can also find us at iTunes, and you can subscribe for free. One little bitty click. Okay, our first question comes from Andy Harris in Sacramento. He says, I know there are rules about how the alcohol content is listed, mm-hmm. but are they applied in a consistent way? Does every winery do it the same? And how much does it matter? I was at a tasting, and some were pretty low. and tasted like they were high, and some were up there. He, he was tasting Zins, 15.5. He said one was 16. That's percent alcohol. That's per- 15% alcohol, right, or 16% alcohol. But you would never have guessed. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, it's, uh, well, there are rules, but, they're, but they are loose. The basic rule is for if anything that is called table wine, you can simply put on the label table wine and it can be anywhere between 11 and 14% alcohol, and it is legally table wine. Now, within that, you're given 
1.5% leeway. So you could put 12.5% and that covers from 11 to 14. So anywhere in that range is table wine and any basically anything you see between 11 and 14 is with one and within one and a half percent. Right. Something magical happens when the alcohol goes over 14 percent. Right. The tax goes up. The tax goes up. And so it's the difference now then considered is considered not a table wine. It's considered a luxury good. It's called a fortified wine, and the taxes are higher. And it means that they want you to be a little more specific. So above 14 percent, you have only one percent leeway. But if your wine is 14.000001 percent alcohol, you cannot put that it's 13.9 because it's a different tax category, and God will kill you. Yeah, well, or even something worse, like tax that. Person. The tax people will get yeah, you. They're, they're way worse. <laughs> they're um, worse than God. Well, and the thing is, Andy, that in uh, in many cases, if the wine is out of balance, their things are going to taste off. And so yes. often, that hotness is that the alcohol is just that wine wasn't it. It was not balanced. It wasn't made in a way where everything sort of coalesces with each other. You know, I I use this metaphor a lot. Is that it, think of wine like a sauce. And then, you know, but sometimes if the sauce hasn't cooked right, something stands out. If you put too much olive oil in, you put and it too much Tabasco it. sauce, yeah. it doesn't. It's, so and, and Andy the, asked three specific questions. Are they applied in a consistent way by the sort of by the tax within, and within that range? By the Tax and Trade Bureau, they're applied consistently. Does every winery do it the same? No. Nope. Lots of wineries just put table wine. Other wineries choose to put very specific alcohols. And, and right, some wineries know that they want their cab to be fourteen two, and it could be fourteen nine. But and they're they don't care; two. they're going to put fourteen two on the yeah. label. Or they want their wine to be fourteen five, and it could be fourteen one, and they still want it fourteen right. five. It goes both ways. And then the other last question is, how much does it matter? And I would say, open the bottle, taste it. If it tastes good, it doesn't matter. If it tastes bad. It doesn't matter. It's not what's written on the label that's going to affect your appreciation of this right. wine. The one, you know, and and there is, um, there's a there's a big, you know, there's always the high. There's lots of arguments against it for and all whatever. But there's, you know, there's a lot of folks that would like wine to be lower alcohol. I think if the wine tastes good, it's fine. But one thought um, within that, which is that if you are getting wines that you think you're going to put away for a while, mm-hmm. um, and the higher the alcohol, the more risky that is because the alcohol doesn't fade as the rest of the wine starts to change and so your wine's going to could taste hotter or at least more out of balance as it Hmm. ages over a Hmm. couple of years so that's the time but if you've tasted this wine and you like it then the alcohol content really isn't an issue i I did think of uh, an experience i had when i read andy's question which is that i once had a bottle of zinfandel years and years and years ago up in um up way north of napa region withheld so that we won't be sued (laughs) and it was a Zinfandel that was 16.7 alcohol and it tasted exactly like a very nice table wine that someone had added a full shot of vodka to 16.7 is kind of high yep that was not pleasant right so then there's that (laughs) what else you got this is from Jessica in Templeton which is San Luis Obispo wine country yeah yeah yeah. Uh, does it matter if my wine glass is glass or crystal and if it does, why? We went to dinner, and the wine lady was going on and on about their crystal glasses. And and what about shapes? Do they matter, too, she, says, she asks. Well, the crystal thing, it matters because when you break it, it's way more expensive. It costs a lot more money. And when you crystal. rub your finger on around the, the top, it, it makes a very pretty sound. Yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we've, we've talked about glasses, and, and there are certainly... 
I mean, they're they're with you know. I've done tastings, and I know Paul, you have too, where the shape of the glass and the style of glass does affect the wine some. But in general, it's it's there it, of the things you're going to worry about. It's probably not the first one. It's it's interesting that amongst people who do this for a living, for example, uh, uh, professional winemakers or professional uh, wine analysts in Europe, for example, there is a specific simple six ounce and a. 10 ounce of glass they use for white and red right and it's a simple basic shape and everybody drinks out of the same glass and every wine tastes pretty good out of that glass yeah. and it's uh but in terms of the crystal in the glass boy i've never noticed it this. makes a much prettier sound when the glass crashes on the table when it's crystal true and you can't put the crystal crystal in the dishwasher so there's that there's that too yeah so what yeah. What, what that what the person at the wine lady was telling you at that restaurant was we wash these by hand Are, oh man aren't we smart i mean well Kudos to the restaurant to put crystal on right. the table. That's a very classy, but boy, that would be an expensive way to run a restaurant. Yeah, if they saw me walking in, they would pull They it. would hide they'd, those. They'd, they'd give me the give plastic you a, cup. The sippy cup. Yep, that's exactly right. Okay. <laughs> All right, that is it for questions. We'll have more before we're done, but coming up, we've got some really bad wine writing, and you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yes, 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 that music, that music. It what, is time for some really horrible wine writing. What you can't see, because this is radio, is the way Rick dances every time he hears that music. Yeah, I start to take off my shirt, I should warn you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Paul, what'd you bring in? I have a great one here. Check this out, Rick. Lovely spicy aromas and flavors of cinnamon, eucalyptus, and cranberry coulis <laughs> with a crisp, fruity, yet dry, medium... <laughs> to full body, and a zesty, mouth-watering finish with chewy, food-friendly tannins. A delicious delicious and vivacious table wine. Okay. Yeah, right. So you want to explain how it can be fruity yet dry, medium to full body? It oscillates. This, well, that was last week. <laughs> that was last week. Yeah. This is somebody who just doesn't have the guts to pull the trigger, so let's just throw a bunch of words in there and say, well, it's somewhere in that right. range. Well, except that the writer pulled a trigger on cranberry coulis which is a jam it's a and you know and i'm not sure how that would taste different from the just the cranberry itself or cranberry jam right you couldn't say cranberry jam well that's but coulis sounds so cool it does it does it sounds fruity yet dry (laughs) <laughs> and and f- medium yet full-bodied. Yeah. I also like the mouth-watering finish with chewy, food-friendly tannins. I can't, I can't get past the image of little tannin molecules in my mouth waving to the fork as it comes forward. Hi hey, guys, hey, come on in. Hey, we got a party going on. Woo! <laughs> right. Well, I have one. This is what we were talking about when somebody takes is taking too many tests. Um, it's going to go on. But there's so many funny things in here. We'll have to we'll have to go uh, stop and go as we as we okay. Go. So uh, this is from uh, it's just from a newspaper writer. Should, so they person should really know better. The wine is a deep ruby red color with an opaque core going out into a deep garnet hued rim definition with medium high viscosity. Okay. Doesn't that make you want to buy this wine? No, it doesn't. What does it that make, tell you? It, ta- it tells it me tell that me he anything. no, he used to work for Sherwin Williams. Yes, that's right. It does. It sounds actually they wouldn't allow that. They, they're not going to put <laughs> let put no. it down. Okay. They oh. would just have mystic mist as the color. His next paragraph on the nose. It's a long paragraph. 
The wine seems a bit restrained at first, but then opens up with a barrage of crust, which actually doesn't seem to make sense. I'm ducking. Yeah. There's a barrage of red cherries. Well, crushed red cherries, black pepper, spice box, marinara sauce, loganberry juice, ripe elderly fruit, <laughs> chewing tobacco, and rustic, you're going to like this, rustic earth-driven minerals. Yeah. Okay, so on the nose, on I don't the smell, want. I, 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 not, Rick, I do not want my wine to hit me with a barrage of marinara sauce. That sounds like a Dom DeLuise yeah, you routine. Yeah, you got you to wear a bib to drink this wine. <laughs> marinara sauce is not something I've ever heard associated with a wine smell, but what the heck. But all of that, so it's eight descriptors. Right. This person got eight descriptors. That's, uh, I know— you know, we've, we we okay. ta- we talk to our our master som friends and people have been in this business for a long time. They go two or three. Okay, yeah. move yeah. on. Well, I like rustic minerals, rustic though, minerals. because they clearly have not been to the refinery. No, these are these are the these are minerals that are living in a shack. Should he not have said or instead of mineral to give us the sense that these are in their rustic well, state before earth, refining? Earth-driven minerals. Earth-driven minerals. Yes, yes because <laughs> other minerals are sky minerals. <laughs> air minerals or airhead. Okay, it gets worse because on the palate, uh, there's only a, I, it could go on and on, but in the, on the palate, there's things that include, he's got 11 descriptors on the Good. taste. okay. Right? And include things like juicy black spicy fruit. That's his first one, juicy black spicy fruit. Another one is cherry juice, okay. which I'm not sure how that's different from cherry, but there you okay. go. Huckleberry sauce. Well, cherry juice is liquid. Okay. But Huckleberry there, sauce, good. But then the next two are, there's more, but my next two are my favorite. Toast points. Toast points. Oh, toast points elegant. Are, toast points is just toast cut into a diamond. It, into little pieces. Yeah. It's right. The, it, so why would it not just be toast? Because it's the, more elegant. Do points taste, can he taste the, the he, can, he can taste. He can taste the diamond. This guy's good. He can taste how the toast is cut. <laughs> I am so impressed. And then loads of chewy minerals. My teeth hurt. Um, so is rubber a mineral? Because that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. But don't uh, first so. of all, he's hit you with a barrage of marinara yes. sauce, and now he's making you eat dirt. Yeah. Um, and then he goes on. The wine actually appears measured and balanced despite its rustic appearance, which, of course, was deep ruby red with an opicor and blah, blah, blah. And the finish is excellent, yet more black. It goes on. This is, this is exactly the point where, first off, he's showing off. Second... This is at which point, a lot of time at, trying if to find he's in players. an open carry state, at which point does the customer reach out and blow their own brains out because they don't want to hear any more of this? Yeah, yeah. Or, yes. Um, it's just, it, it's, and you know what? So here's the thing, Paul. Yes. It's a $12 wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is. Uh, okay. Okay, yep. boy, I'd love to read his description of a fifty-dollar bottle of yeah. wine because you'd think, you know, you it isn't the I mean, isn't there a basic ratio of dollars per adjective? Yes, um, yeah. Well, actually, that, that was true. Is actually at um, with food. It was at, that, that we should dig up this guy's study. It was the Harvard professor, right? Uh, who had that um, the, actually was in the middle range and the down of the menu was when they used way more descriptors. Right. But when they got to the top end, it would just say something like. Olives, chicken, capers. <laughs> so maybe that's how he describes wine, an expensive wine. He says, Good. fruit, finish. <laughs> $150. All right. $150, right. All right. Okay. Uh, we, got, we have to take at least one more question because uh, we don't want to end on that. Uh, so here's, this is from Stacy in Riverside. Mm-hmm. She says, my husband splurges on good wine, especially when we go wine tasting. I might encourage him a little, she says. Oh, that's a nice comment. Uh, I do. But he never wants to open them. 
So mm. we, we have some great wines, but we always end up drinking just the okay stuff. Any suggestions? I'm thinking I should invite friends over when he's not here and drink them. He won't notice because he never reaches for them. Boy, she has a devious mind, doesn't she? I'm, I'm with her. I Are you? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know what you – here's what – this is – okay, this is one of the things I love, Paul. People keep asking us for the kinds of advice that affects relationships. Yeah. Don't you people out there know any better? <laughs> <laughs> In any case, well, uh, here, I think I think you I think she sidles up to him and says, "Dear, remember that wine we got at Winery Name Removed, so Rick and Paul won't get sued." I feel like drinking that tonight. She has to lower her voice at this point. Say, "Don't you?" Yeah. Okay, that would work. Or or remember, there was quite a famous. By the way, that was me being sexy. My apologies. Yeah, I, it's hard to tell. I'm sure people are taking their clothes off out there. <laughs> <laughs> there was a wonderful. I'm going to quote a study here. There was a wonderful uh, advertising campaign years ago by the Wine Market Council, and the theme of the advertisement was wine. What are you saving it for? Right. And it was I actually it. pretty successful. That's a nice campaign. And, and of course, it, it brings to mind the old wine writer Jerry Mead's wonderful line that wine is not just for breakfast anymore. There you go. Um, but what are you saving it for? Well, and, and if she can get him to answer that question, yes. then she can arrange for the kinds of events that he has identified would be appropriate for those wines. Like, do you want to sleep on the sofa tonight? <laughs> no. Oh, then it must be one of those nights that we're going to open one of the nice well, bottles. And, you know, and Stacy, this is um, this is something though. It's funny because it's not just your husband. It is this thing where the longer you don't open it, the larger the occasion yeah, needs to be true. for opening the wine. And here's the sad part: I have a wine cellar chock full of bottles, and twenty percent, thirty percent of those bottles are probably not as good as they once got were because yeah. I just haven't gotten around to them. Yeah, well, let me come over again, and I'll take care well, of that. Well, you took care of quite a few the That's last true. time. That's true. You brought much of my <laughs> cellar up into <laughs> our house. Really. I brought the floor up with me. Um, <laughs> in any case, uh, so I think you, I think the other another thing to do is before dinner, before he starts going to pick out a wine, uh, you know, a little bit earlier in the day, say, you know, let's drink something good tonight. And now yes. he's got a, now he's got an occasion. Right, you've already sort of made it an occasion. Yep. Um, and you can also remind him that there's probably some stuff there that you should drink before it starts to you know not. Be tell not him so Rick and Paul says. And tell him and to invite us. Although you guys are in Riverside, that's a little ways away. But yeah, for a good well, bottle of wine, you'll we go anywhere. Go, that's, that's entirely true. I will go anywhere. Okay. Well, that is it for uh, another round of bottle talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer today was Jeff Sheckman. Thanks, and, Jeff. And our producer is Matt Bassini. Thanks to Napa Broadcasting for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, uh, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. That is, of course, our website. If you're already there, you know that. If you learned anything today, we hope it's that wine shouldn't be a test, even if you happen to be studying for one. And we never require anyone to pass a test to listen to us. Except maybe the wine bottle. i got to pass the wine bottle. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. 